1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a late edition of the Inside OU Podcast. This is Brady Trantham, and it's a late edition because that's all on me, guys. I was um, in California on, let's see, I got there on Saturday. I was there Sunday night, and I didn't get back home to Norman until late last night, about 3 or 4, four o'clock in the morning. So uh, uh, me, John, uh, Hoover, and Rufus Alexander weren't able to meet up. Uh, yesterday, after Lincoln Riley's press conference, um, we weren't all able to meet up again today because uh, Rufus had some other business stuff he had to take care of. But uh, for today, got John Hoover on the phone, of course, and then tomorrow we'll put the I'll put this podcast up um, t- later on tonight so you guys can have something to listen to. And then when I uh, get a hold of Rufus tomorrow, g- get in touch with him, I'll put out an extra podcast with his thoughts on the South Dakota game and then uh, just the defense, the team. All those thoughts moving forward as OU prepares to play UCLA on the weekend. But John, um, haven't had that much of a chance to talk to you since I was out partying in, in the Bay, out in California. But um, it looks like um, OU's. I was going to say we found out that Brady is the kind of guy who takes a day of vacation during football season. What's <laughs> up with that, Brady? Well, it's a it's a F, it's a it's a FCS school. I mean. Exactly. Here, here. That's your way of protesting signing a contract <laughs> with an FCS school. I love it. No, well, I'll ask you this. How hot was it on Saturday? Um, was it as hot as the Houston game? No, no, it wasn't as hot as Houston. Um, and, and I didn't have to be outside in it like I did the Houston game. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the pregame hit. So uh, I walked from the car to the stadium and sat in the air conditioning. So it was very pleasant. Huh. Well, I'll just tell you this. Um <laughs> We, we came out of the subway um, from Oakland because we had to fly into Oakland because the entire trip there was a complete and utter farce. Our, our flight from Dallas to San Fran got uh, delayed twice, and then it got canceled. Wait, were you on the flight with the TU football team on the way to San Jose? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I talked to Philip Montgomery th- today about that. He said the whole trip out there was a total train wreck i was like wait a minute you guys are you guys are traveling together now you and tu see see that's interesting because i think the airport um and i think the airports out there are having construction because there were so many flights that got delayed going out there it wasn't right. just san, it wasn't just san francisco but yeah so our flight got canceled and we had to take another flight and then that one got canceled so then we had to fly from Dallas to Phoenix, have a five-hour layover where we watched that classic, <laughs> classic Nebraska-Colorado game. I was getting so hyped at the airport bar. It was so much fun. A good game. It felt like I was 12 years old again. It was great. Um, no, so we, we had to chill there for five hours and then fly into Oakland. And then we had to travel from Oakland into San Francisco. The second, John, that we came out of the subway onto the streets of San Francisco, and I didn't feel a thick thick curtain of humidity hit me in the face i felt like oh my god like it's i'm kind of bummed i'm missing an ou i missed an ou game but the weather here is fantastic yeah, it was so great good. and then rest assured when we got back um to dallas late last night walked outside um into the parking lot gar- into the parking garage there that there that curtain was hit us right in the face we were like all right we're home <laughs> felt like you were in a, a hot mister yeah exactly yeah Oh, I know the feeling, um, and I can vouch for the weather in Los Angeles, and I can vouch for the greatness of college football 
that Saturday, I watched the Army-Michigan game in the morning, and I got in the car, and I caught the last, the overtime part in, in the car on the way to, to Norman. And then when I get to Norman, you get treated to Colorado-Nebraska at, you know, for the old Big 8 championship <laughs> uh, while I was in the press box. And I leaned over to Colby Daniels, uh, you know, the host of the Triple M Ranch from 3 to 6 on the franchise. I leaned over to Colby and said, God, I love college football. This is just, it's so glorious. The, the way that the Michigan Army game went and then the, the way that uh, this uh, Colorado-Nebraska game, you know, surged and then reversed and then the other team comes back and then it goes late, and the, you know, field goal. And, it's just amazing. and that touchdown catch was unbelievable. And then we had to sit and endure OU <laughs> mashing potatoes that is the South Dakota Coyotes. It was such a bad game. Oh, man. Yeah, it was uh, – I, I mean, even even like – I don't know when the Texas LSU game started – um, I guess it's. I guess it started a little bit after the OU game, yeah, but you know that's going on, and that was. It, it was a competitive game, and it ended up being pretty exciting. But um, from the condensed version that I watch on YouTube, it looked like LSU pretty much controlled throughout. But um, I mean, I'm sure if you watch the entire game start to finish, and not the condensed version, maybe you have a different opinion. But yeah, it was a great day of college football, John. But. Uh, the OU game is sadly the one that we had to at least pay attention to it at, at, at most. So, um, OU did exactly what they were supposed to do, John. And um, there's a part of me, the human side, if you will, that feels terrible for all those players at South Dakota because they just basically become everybody's highlight reel. Like CD Lamb had his like if he if he wins the Blitnikoff, you're going to see that catch that he had that deep ball early in the first quarter from uh, Jalen Hurts. You're just going to see basically a bunch of South Dakota highlights, and that cornerback's going to have to live with it for the entire season. Yeah, I thought um, I thought C.D. Lamb went into that game with a very uh, express amount of uh, goals that he wanted to accomplish, and I think he accomplished them all in the first quarter. Oh yeah, just on what, the, a, what a game by C.D. on um, their second. It, to me, that goes to show his talent, his ability and his readiness for the National Football League. He's, listen, I know, don't get excited, Hoover, right? It was an FCS school, South Dakota, right? I don't care. He does that against everybody. He did that against Alabama. He did that against Bama. (laughs) Exactly. The catches that he makes, the the competitive catch, and I I joked with him after the game about this. I said, dude, we're used to seeing like a Jumpman logo and bring it down with one hand. We're not used to seeing you making catches on the ground while you're falling down being completely guarded by like you were the cornerback was all over him how could he even find the football and he caught it it was an amazing catch um he's so good and he ends up with six catches 144 yards uh just a fantastic day but where i was going to say when you said you felt felt sorry for south dakota my first reaction is to say yeah man those poor guys they got just hell beat out of them you know big division one bully like oklahoma right well not so much those those coyote defensive linemen were giving the blockers all they wanted physically. I mean, they were. There was a guy. There was a, a 260 pound white dude played nose guard defensive tackle. He's just kind of a guy. I mean, he's a little little bit bigger than me when I was before I lost a bunch of weight. Right? He was giving poor Creed Humphrey all he wanted for the entire first half. They eventually pulled Creed Humphrey. Creed was the first guy off off the field. He was the first starter to come off the field. And part of it is you want to get even. I get that. 
but part of it too is the fact that Creed was just getting worked by this this uh, you know sixty four sixty whatever they are sixty four scholarship FCS South Dakota dude and and I thought and it wasn't it wasn't like play but there were enough times when Creed was going backward and Jalen Hurts was having to say what the heck is this guy doing in my face and having to run out of there um, the OU offensive line a little bit of a red flag I think uh, coming out of that game. No question, and you know, I, I listened to the game. I listened to at least the first half on the radio um, before I got on my flight from Phoenix all the way up to uh, Oakland. So I didn't really get to um, catch much of the second half outside of uh, YouTube highlights. But just from how the game was played, um, listening on the radio, it seemed like oh, you kind of had a penalty problem, and especially on the offensive line too, as well. And you know what you're talking about, what you what you're describing to me, John. You know. Uh, South Dakota's defensive line giving OU's offensive line all that they wanted. That to me is just kind of a motivation problem, and that was, you know, chalking it up to basically not respecting your opponent. And yeah, OU is going to win that game. OU is going to win that game with one hand tied behind their back by fifty if they if they had to. I mean, there's just such an obvious talent gap that it's it's not even fair. But no matter who you're playing, you've got to respect your opponent because, I mean, we just saw on Sunday how quickly a game a game can be turned because you just keep committing stupid penalties Cleveland we're talking to you um that that's a problem but in terms of just like the physical talent and capability of this offensive line I mean Creed Humphrey's a guy that I'm I'm going to safely assume that he's going to be properly motivated when he plays big 12 opponents he's going to be properly motivated when they go to the Rose Bowl and play UCLA um but John that left tackle I can it's two games, yes, and I know everybody's riding high about this defense and the overall team performance. Mm-hmm. Oh, you hadn't played anybody yet. Texas has played somebody already. There have been a bunch of teams across the country that have played some very good opponents, and we've got a better idea than what we have of OU moving forward than we do right now. But I can see I can see at this point right now on, on Tuesday, if that left tackle position isn't squared away in the next few weeks, it's going to lose OU a game. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Um, Eric Swenson got the start there this time with Marquise Hayes out at left guard. Eric Swenson started at left tackle, and R.J. Proctor started at, at left guard. And uh, there was a little bit of, uh, I don't know, loss of chemistry, cohesion, something. Um, you could you could see guys talking to each other after, you know, a, a pressure or Jalen Hurts runs out of there and throws it away or gets a, gets a pass away at the last second or gets sacked or gets – takes off running and gets twisted down one time he got twisted into a pile and i mean like the guys on top of him his feet are planted and and there's a spinning motion going on you're like are his knees okay or his ankles okay and you can see the offensive line talking talking it out after almost every play like uh what were you supposed to do on that one uh that was my responsibility i should have taken this did you see the linebacker coming did you see the twist coming did you see the the pressure coming from the outside you know they're they're discussing almost on a, on a regular basis, uh, what they're, and, and this is something that we talk about Brady a lot. And that is when you replace four linemen, you replace a lot of, uh, communication. You replace a lot of kind of innate, um, external communication where, you know, a guy can say something and everybody knows what he means. Well, with four new guys, a guy says something and there's two of them saying, I didn't hear him. Other two others are saying, what did he say? Uh, I'm not sure what that means. So there, there's a loss of of, of um, just a natural chemistry that that, that that offensive line had last year, and we've seen past OU lines have a lot of. This one's this one's got to build it. This one this is going to be a process. This offensive line as a whole is going to be 
a work in progress, and it and it could last a few weeks, and they better get they better get started because last week was a little bit of a red flag when an FCS team can come in and outplay you at the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Uh, and and listen, I know I, you know I'm aware. Oh, you had 730 yards and and bunch of 10, <laughs> 10 touchdowns and all this. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about who is winning the line of scrimmage. An FCS team, a player from an FCS team, should never be able to push back an All American candidate from an FBS team. Yeah, that should not happen, and that's what we saw happening. And Creed wasn't the only one. Creed, Creed was uh, is just kind of the linchpin there, because he's the guy with the most experience. He's the guy probably with the most ability, and yet he was the guy who, at, you know, at the snap of the ball was getting beat. So uh, I'm calling him out a little bit, calling Swenson out a little bit. Proctor looked like, and I talked to Sam Mays about this several times during the game. Proctor looked like he didn't know the plays. You know, yeah. coming in late from Virginia, transfer, right? You know, grad transfer, and you come into a new system, and you're like, I'm not sure what's going on here, fellas. So there's a lot of work that has to be done by this offensive line. Yeah, and, you know, if it's just communication and chemistry, then that's something that comes with reps, yep. game reps, and that's going to take care of itself. And, you know, the whole season's going to hinge on basically the Texas game. Now, of course, oh, you can go out to L.A. and lay an egg. I mean, it's not like we haven't seen – maybe an even more balanced OU team go out and lay an egg against an even worse opponent than what UCLA is going to bring to the table. I mean, it's not like it hasn't happened before, but, um, you know, everyone's going to be, okay, UCLA should be a win. Texas Tech is, you know, they're okay, but they still have the same problems that Texas Tech has always had. And then Kansas lost to damn Coastal Carolina. (laughs) So it's really going to hinge on the Texas game. So when when you think about that, it's like, okay, Hopefully, with three more games left until the Texas game, chemistry and, and communication, that gets squared away. But, John, like, really, it wasn't even just that that really bothered me, especially against Houston. I mean, these guys are just getting pushed around on, on the left side of the offensive line. Now, Creed didn't get pushed around against Houston, and maybe you can chalk it up to he was properly motivated, like I talked about. Maybe uh, South Dakota's defensive line surprised him a little bit, and he just didn't have the same type of game that he would normally have. I mean, I don't know. But it just really seemed like that no matter who it was at the left tackle spot, they were just getting pushed around every other play. And that's something that just doesn't that, that doesn't get fixed during the season. You don't just become stronger uh, game to game. Yeah, um, there's there's a lot. You're right. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of work to be done. And, and I'm telling you, we, we look at the UCLA team and we see 0-2 and, and we see a 10 point Cincinnati and a nine-point loss to San Diego State. We see a team that that is trying to uh, establish itself. Uh, I think not just no longer in the city of Los Angeles, but kind of in the state of California. They're trying to establish themselves in the state of California as a as a team, uh, recruiting wise and and getting eyeballs wise. Because they're, we saw today, they're giving away to to everybody who came to the San Diego State game and witnessed the carnage of losing to the Aztecs. They're giving them. UCLA is giving them four tickets for free. Four tickets. So if you went and sat through our garbage, t- you know, for three hours and w- or watched our our team, you know, gack it up for three hours uh, to to San Diego, then we're going to give you. We're going to reward you for your time by giving you four free tickets. Hell, so if, if, if UCLA, go ahead. I was going to say, if only our flight got canceled and moved oh. to San Diego, I could have got a free OU UCLA ticket out of it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> could have go back. Now, UCLA right now is desperate to get a toehold 
in California and, and on the West Coast as being relevant. When you look at Chip Kelly comes back from the NFL and, and everything's going to be hunky-dory and, oh, man, give Chip Kelly some Southern California recruits and watch what he can do with them. He's 3-11, and two games into his second year. It's been a disaster. So, so, we're, so we're poking fun and we're pointing fingers at UCLA, but guess what? They've got a bunch of Division One players. They've got they talent. As a team. They've got guys they've got, that they got they guys that OU players. probably wanted. They've got guys that OU wanted. They've got guys, especially on the defense and especially on the defensive front seven, that if you think South Dakota had a good time uh, pushing the line of scrimmage back on a frequent basis, wait. If OU goes out there and looks at the, the record and looks at Chip Kelly and looks at all the stuff that we just talked about and says, ah, that is no big deal. We got this. Jalen Hurts is going to get hit hard and often. So the OU offensive line against this UCLA defensive line, they're not world beaters. They're not Alabama. They're not Georgia or, or somebody like that. They're not Clemson. But they've got good players on the front. That not Maybe not elite players, but they've got good players. And that's going to be something that uh, Bill Biedenboe is, I, I would hope, is impressing upon the uh, the, the, the raw and the green offensive line that, uh, that he's having to coach this week. You know, I, I don't want to spend too much time on UCLA, John, but it's so interesting to me because you know the, these are two like UCLA is a name program. They're not exact. They're not on the same level as USC. USC has way more you know championship tradition than UCLA, but UCLA is still it's a helmet school, and it's a school that should should be better than what they have put onto the field over the last twenty twenty five years. And it's so interesting to me that UCLA can suck this bad while USC is over there fumbling around and you know not having any luck finding any quarterback, even though they have their pick of the litter of any four highly touted four or five star quarterback in their own backyard. Um, it, it's so interesting to me because I mean, you look at OU in Texas historically. There's not that there's not that many examples of both programs being terrible at the same time. Typically, one of them is at least very good, and a lot of the times, both schools and both programs are very very good at the same time because when your rival is good, it makes it it keeps you from getting complacent. Um, so it, it's it's interesting to me how far UCLA has fallen, even though they've been at best average over the last ten years. Um, even though they have a lot of talent and a lot of guys that they've been able to put into the NFL, but. Um, what you're talking about doesn't necessarily worry me as an OU fan for this game because, again, I, I feel like, especially in football, motivation is probably the hardest thing to force upon your players if you're a coaching staff because you can sit there all week and tell them, you've got to respect South Dakota, you've got to respect your opponent. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you go out there and and CeeDee Lamb catches a pass falling down, you know. It, it, like it, like it just it becomes so easy that you kind of lose your drive and your motivation, and that's still a bad thing. I'm not excusing it, but basically my whole point is, I don't think that motivation should be that big of a problem going on the road for their first road contest uh, in the Rose Bowl in a stadium that they lost a, a heartbreaking classic playoff game just a few you know just a few you know, what how many months ago it was you know a lot of these players were still on that team maybe they didn't play but they were still on that team and know that feeling so um i am not worried about motivation at all even though ucla is terrible even though ou didn't necessarily dominate on the line of scrimmage against south dakota um i guess i'm just not worried but who who knows john sometimes i'm an idiot so <laughs> i could be unpleasantly surprised that um, coming saturday no, um, you're right, and this isn't. If OU is properly motivated, they'll beat UCLA fifty-six to twenty-one. Yeah, 
that that's that's just the way it is. OU's that much better of a football team. There's no doubt in my mind. But uh, if they're not properly motivated, if they're looking at the fact that UCLA stinks and that uh, they're winless and they're not taking them seriously and it's going to be a day at the beach, literally, um, then then I think there's every possibility that uh, a couple of guys from UCLA might be making frequent trips to the to the OU backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's going to be. And listen, all it takes is one play when you're when you're you know you, all your eggs are in the quarterback's basket. And he gets hit. Ask Sam Bradford. He gets hit awkwardly. Hits gets hit wrong. Lands wrong. Uh, and, and this is boy. This is just reminds me of the BYU game all over again, where you know it was Andre Ware. Yeah, I know. Oh, you went to the national championship game last year, but I'm going to pick him to go eight and four. The luckiest, four? luckiest what guess is, in the history what of is guesses. Wrong with you? <laughs> eight and four. Why? Why would you say oh you's going to go eight and four? Well, they're replacing four offensive linemen. Oh. Well, that doesn't. They'll be fine. They're not. They're not going to go eight and four. No, first game, Sam Bradford gets hurt because why? The offensive line. He was a hundred percent right, and that cost them a, a, another run at a championship and a you know eight and four turned him into an eight and four season. So this is something that I think um, in this particular game where you've got players on the UCLA side, Chris Barnes is a linebacker. Um, Jay Shaw is a defensive back. He's a hell of an athlete. He had a sixty-six yard. Pick six against Cincinnati, and then they've got a couple of defensive linemen. One of them, whose name I can't even begin to pronounce, um, they got they got guys who just routinely make plays in the backfield. So you know, Jalen Hurts, um, career advice one hundred and one: head on a swivel this week. Oh, exactly. Um, I guess to Andre Ware's credit, he I remember towards the end of the year, I think going into the uh, Sun Bowl or going into the bowl season, he did kind of say, "Well, I was right, but." I didn't know OU was going to have like fourteen thousand injuries. So I mean, credit credit to <laughs> them that that's that yeah credit to them that that's why the um, they went eight and five. You know, so I guess they overachieved in some respect because they lost so many guys. But anyway, um, no, you're, you're exactly exactly right, John. I mean, the, there is talent at UCLA, and oh my God, yeah, Chip Kelly's three and eleven. But if they beat OU, all that goes out the window. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, and then all of a sudden UCLA has some positive momentum moving forward, something that they haven't had since, you know, maybe uh, when Josh Rosen was a sophomore before he kind of became what he is, a okay quarterback. <laughs> but um, I guess offensively outside of the offensive line, and look, OU fans, like this is good that oh, like we're looking at OU who has racked up millions of yard yardage of off total offense in the last two games, um, who, who who's you know how many touchdowns have they? How many different players have scored touchdowns, John? Uh, it, last week it was ten, which is a, think about this Oklahoma, which is known for offense, not just at Lincoln Riley, not just Bob Stoops, not just even Barry Switzer. Going back to the split T days of Bud Wilkinson, yeah, they are known for scoring points, and no one has ever scored ten touchdowns. No, no team has ever scored had ten different people score ten different touchdowns in one game. So. Another notch in Lincoln Riley's uh, career belt, yeah. for sure. Like, all these things are very good, but it, it's good that, you know, either the media, you know, whether that's John, uh, the fans, you know, me, and, and especially the coaches, you know, that that's the, the important thing, and that's the thing that I've appreciated from Alex, Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley. Yes, they're happy with the performance of their team overall, and they're happy about the potential that this team has, but they know, just like we, we know, they haven't really played 
uh, the talent that they're going to need to beat in order to get to their goals. You know, Houston has talent, but not all not all over the field. South Dakota is an FCS opponent. Um, it's good that they have a standard. It's good that they're being held accountable that, yeah, you guys did a good job, but oh my God, you guys have so much to do. And that goes all the way down from the from Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, to Jalen Hurts, who's kind of, <laughs> I guess, grinding on everybody's nerves with just his attitude. But it's the attitude that you need, John. I mean, Baker Mayfield was great for OU's program, and he's going to be great for OU's program from now until the like well after he's you know passed away. Kyler Murray, kind of the same way. Just his athletic talent alone spoke volumes. He didn't have to say much. Um, he was just that good. Jalen Hurts. This program needs a, a personality like that. It needs a personality that is okay. Yeah, we we've done well, but we we haven't done crap yet, John. And that's the mentality that you need going on the road. In a, it's not a hostile environment, but it's a beautiful environment that can distract you, um, because um, covering the NBA. If any team you're covering goes to L.A. to play the Lakers or the Clippers and they've got a night off before the game, expect <laughs> a sloppy performance, at least in the first half. So um, it, it's a it's a road test, no doubt, despite how bad UCLA is going to be. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, just the, the logistics of going on the road. And, and here's the thing. Uh, Lincoln Riley addressed this at his press conference yesterday. The logistics of a college football team going on the road, it's a real production. I mean, you know, you you got to be at a certain place at a certain time, and you got to have your bag packed a certain way, and bringing certain equipment or certain gear and things like that. You got to bring your stuff, and make sure you don't forget this, make sure you don't forget that. So, from a player's perspective, individually, it's a big deal. Now, throw in the fact that they're bringing uh, the full allotment of players. They're bringing every freshman who is going to play, or might play, or could play, or might even redshirt later on in the season. This is a team that is, has been so far, at least in the second halves, has been predicated on, you know, they're blowing the opposition out. So a lot of freshmen are going. And Lincoln Riley said, it's always amazing to me how many times you get on the plane for the first, uh, you know, road trip of the season. And there's a bunch of guys who have never been on an airplane before. Yeah. <laughs> Think about that. And this team has a whole bunch of freshmen who is fit into that category. So. You know, it's not going to be a big thing. It's not going to be, oh, I'm, I'm so scared. I can't, you know, deal with uh, the, the stress of flying in an airplane. Or I'm so amazed that it's the most amazing thing being above the clouds that I've ever seen. You know, not a bunch of five-year-olds on this trip. Don't get me wrong. But it's just one more thing. It's just one more thing to add to the to the, to the the tower of little bricks that you're building to, to win this game. That's one of those things that, um, you know, guys are going to be, Wow, look at the mountains. So they call those the San Gabriel Mountains. Hey, get your mind on the game. Quit looking at the mountains. We've got a, you know, we've got a second half to win here, that kind of thing. And it's 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 one of those X factors. And especially if OU starts the game off really hot, and let's say it's 17 to nothing, it's really easy to then look at those pretty mountains and then to like really take in <laughs> that, man, we're so badass, like this game's over, we're going to enjoy LA. It's like, no, there's still three quarters of football left and you haven't done anything yet. But again, um, I, I don't want to keep harping on just the few negatives that we've seen um, in two games out of this team, but I feel like that the leadership is exactly where it needs to be. And, uh, yeah, before, and it's been good. Yeah. And remember what I said last week. They're not playing South Dakota, okay? They're not playing Houston even. They're playing a little bit of Houston. This week they're playing a little bit more UCLA. Last week they went into that game playing against Texas on October, what is it, October 12th? Yeah, they went into the, they went into that game playing Georgia 
in the college football playoff semifinal or Clemson in the national championship game. Championships, and that's what this program's about. Let's not mince words. This program and the fan base demand championships. And I'm talking national championships, not the, the consolation prize of the Big 12. This program, if, if they're going to be who they purport themselves to be, which is a, a national championship contender, you can't play South Dakota in the second week of the season and, and think about it like, ah, it's just South Dakota. You can't go out to an 0-2 UCLA team in the third week and say, eh, UCLA's not any good. Dude, you think Nick Saban would do that? You think Nick Saban would put up with or, or allow his team to have that kind of attitude? toward you know a crappy uh schedule yeah you don't disrespect uh, your opponent no matter who it no, is no absolutely not so uh just i'm just saying if ou wants to be on that level if ou wants to run the table and go 15 and 0 and win a national championship and you know be in the playoff and beat those teams for a change they're gonna have to they're gonna have to not cons- you know think of they're gonna they're gonna have to not get beat at the line of scrimmage by a uh, by an fcs defensive lineman and that's that's where i'm going back to the to the, how we started this thing. It's just they've got to focus in. They've got to grow up. They've got to play like men. And uh, there's been some. There's been plenty of instances so far where we have not seen that. Exactly. Um, I, I guess um, I, I want to get to the defensive side of the ball really quick. Uh, there were a few other things I wanted to talk about, but we'll have plenty of opportunity throughout the season to talk about uh, the, this receiving core because it's absolutely insane, John. It's, it's, it's unfair. But a part of that receiving core um, – one more thing before we get to the defensive side of the ball, John. I, I want to put this on the podcast because I want to. I want to be able to look back and and say, look how right I am. Because that that's the only thing that keeps me alive at this point. Um, <laughs> um, the tight end position and just just, just there you go. Yeah. By the way, for those that for those of you that don't follow me on. Twitter, Instagram, or whatever. First of all, I don't blame you. Number two, I'm sorry to everybody that does follow me because I forced it down your throat that I was at a Metallica concert in San Francisco. Anyway, the tight ends, and this is Grant Calcaterra, Stogner. Um, I mean, Lee Morris is kind of a tight end. Um, he's, he lines up kind of in that same Mark Andrews slot position a lot of the times. Uh, Braden Willis, uh, Jeremiah Hall is a fullback, but he kind of acts like a tight end in at least these he, first. He plays that spot too, yeah. Yeah. Um, outside of Jeremiah Hall, who's had now has in two games has two touchdowns. So shout out to Jeremiah Hall. Um, outside of that, John, the tight ends haven't really been used, and mm-hmm. part of it is they haven't really needed to use them <laughs> because this offense has just been rolling just by throwing to the outside and throwing to their slot guys. Across the middle, uh, Charleston Rambo had another good day. C.D. Lamb, we all know what he can do. Uh, the f- three freshmen, incredible performance on Saturday. But I'm wondering this, John. This is why I wanted to put this on a podcast. Are they saving these tight ends for uh, Texas? And the example I used to you before we went on was um, Austin Haywood and his one OU Texas performance. <laughs> that little wrinkle that uh, Bob Stoops and Josh Heupel put in where it was just a, basically a throwback pass to Austin Haywood and Texas was like, who the hell is this guy? And he went for about 50 or 60 yards, didn't score, but it set up a scoring drive, I believe, for OU. And then we, of course, never saw Austin Haywood again. But um, I'm just wondering if there's a concerted effort to save the tight ends for, I guess, another day, or if it's just been a case of uh, Jalen Hurts has just been finding other guys to throw to, and he'll get to the tight ends when he gets to them. Well, uh, you would think that Texas uh, would go into the Red River rivalry knowing 
who all the tight ends are. They should the, know who Grant Calcaterra is. Whether whether it's uh, whether it's uh, Austin Haywood or Jermaine four touchdowns Gresham or Blake Bell who was actually a tight end playing quarterback in short yardage situations or uh, you know Mark Andrews busting a fifty yarder at the end of the game to win it or uh, Grant Calcaterra last year. They better know who the OU tight ends are. You would think at this stage that Texas is tuned in. But to your point, absolutely. I'm, you know, Technically, Grant Calcaterra plays the why position. Yeah. And I'm asking the question, why? Why not throw him football? He is a walking mismatch. But you're 100% right. The week before against Houston, 10 different receivers caught passes. This week, 11 different receivers caught passes. And I think Austin or uh, uh, Grant Calcaterra is sitting on two pass receptions for the season. So yeah. here's a here's a guy that's uh, that's a Mackey Award watch list guy. He's an All American candidate. He's certainly a first team All Big Twelve candidate. He got two catches through two games. I want to see him have more. I want to see him more involved in the offense. But you're 100 percent right. How the hell are you supposed to get him the football when Ceedee Lamb is making the catches that he's making? Uh, Jaden Hazelwood, Trajan Bridges, and Charleston Rambo, and Theo Weiss, and here comes A.D. Miller with a 40-yard catch. Hey, don't forget about Drake Stoops and Nick Basquin and Jeremiah Hall on the dump-off. My goodness, how do you how do you get the football this, to that many guys? And then you add in the two running backs, you know, two guys that are very capable of catching the ball out of the backfield, catching swing passes. I mean, it's, it's unfair the amount of skill, talent that OU has, and um, rest assured, you know, Texas, you know, if we're going to talk about Texas, they're DBU. So I, I, like, I'm, I'm sure they're, I'm sure they're fine. Even though Burrow just racked up, I don't know, 500 yards passing against them. They, they looked like DBU on Saturday, one. but uh, no, it, it's something that you can look forward to. I would assume if they're not holding anything back, cause I, I don't know if Lincoln would be that simple of, Oh yeah, we're just not going to throw to Grant Calcaterra until the Texas game. Texas knows who he is. They, Texas understands the talent um, at um, at the t- in the tight end room at OU, but it's something that you could probably, I, I don't want to say safely predict, but you're going on the road, like we've said against UCLA and the inherent disadvantages with just simply going on the road. Uh, there's nothing better than a reliable tight end for your quarterback on the road as a safety net. So um, if it's going to happen, I, I would assume it's going to happen against UCLA, but yeah, it's just something that I'm I want to see because we know how much of a mismatch Calcaterra is. We know that Lee Morris, all he does is catch touchdowns. Um, I'm really excited about Braden Willis just from a physical um, athletic standpoint. Um, there's just so much to be excited for. And then Stogner, who had two catches on Saturday against South Dakota, just, you know, in one of those, one of those passes was exactly how I want him to be used. Spencer Rattler just, he ran a like 11 or 12 yard stop and turned faced uh, Spencer Rattler and he just threw it up in the air and Stogner just stood there and caught it with his big, big hands and his big frame. That's exactly how you want to use them. So um, I, I'm excited to see if Lincoln and the offense can get them a little bit more acclimated into this offense on Saturday. I, I think um, I, you're 100% right. They're going to be um, – they're going to have to spread the football around. they got a lot of guys to, to keep engaged and keep happy. Uh, and Grant Calcaterra, for my money, is one of them for sure. Uh, Lee Morris is going to get his – uh, you know, he's a guy. Let's remember, Lee Morris was a former walk-on who, you know, has scored, became, earned the nickname TD Lee because he scores touchdowns on a on a frequent basis. So he's not a guy that I think that you have to like, quote unquote, keep happy. Like, oh, we got to get the ball to Lee Morris. But he is a guy that is sneaky big, sneaky strong, sneaky fast, and is going to find himself open a lot 
because people are going to be so concerned about those guys in the backfield. People are going to be so concerned about CeeDee Lamb and uh, the receiver core and, and Charleston Rambo now and all those freshmen. Lee Morris is going to find himself open in big situations a lot, like like he did at Ohio State, like he did, uh, like, you know, like Baker Mayfield. Remember, Baker would slide step and dump off to a fullback, um, Dimitri Flowers or... Uh, it does. It does this is, it's been it's been amazing, and I asked this question in the press conference on Monday um, to one of the players. It's been amazing that Lincoln Riley can find these guys who are of moderately limited skill. They don't run a four three. They're not six five two sixty as a tight end. He finds guys that are just kind of guys who have a, have some abilities, and he allows. The, the offense, his game plan, allows for them to be exploited within the defensive framework. So whatever the defense is doing to stop uh, Marquise Brown or D.D. Westbrook or C.D. Lamb or whoever it is, those guys find their way open downfield, and they're good enough athletes, good enough football players to make key contributions on a regular basis for this offense. And it's just brilliant how, how Lincoln Riley continues to – to involve these guys and, and the latest one is jeremiah hall i mean he, he lines up at fullback and then he lines up at tight end and then he lines up in the slot and boom he's wide open it's like wait a minute where'd that guy come from well he's he's actually been out there this whole drive just been playing different positions so kudos to lincoln riley and kudos to uh, the quarterbacks over the last three years for being able to decipher the defense and find out where those guys are because it's going to continue this this season's not going to be any different those guys are going to be are going to continue to be vital mismatches for this offense uh, no question, John. It, it's 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 unfair how much skill talent OU has on offense. But um, really quick, let's let's jump over to the defense. Uh, we're already at court, court, <laughs> I know who would have ever thought. I'm walking down the street um, in San Francisco. It was about it was right around the time the uh, press conference started, so it was about ten o'clock uh, local time there. And I'm walking with my buddy Matt. And I get the Twitter notification that Buki Radley Hiles was named the Big Twelve Defensive Player of the Week, and I he's an, my friend Matt. He's an OU fan as well, and so I pull up my phone, and I read the tweet. I was like, "Oh man, who'd ever thought that?" And we were just both right. like, "My goodness!" I mean, yeah, it's South Dakota, but um, like I told you before we went on, John, we heard all these things about how Alex Grinch is implementing this system where he wants his guys to to play. He wants them to act, and yeah, if you're in the wrong spot, but you or if you're if you're supposed to be somewhere, but you see with your own eyes that the play is going to go the opposite direction and go away from where you're supposed to be, go make a play. I would rather you make a mistake because you're trying to do something positive and not make a mistake because you're just completely out of the play. Because Alex Grinch is going to call the wrong formation. He's going to call the wrong alignment. And it's up to these players to make a play in spite of it. And from what I've seen from Buki, yes, like Rufus highlighted a lot of problems that he's going to present when teams decide, let's just run it to whatever side he's on, and they're going to be able to overpower him with, with their size. That's going to be a problem, but he's so twitchy, John. He's so quick, and on that pick six, he just jumped the route. He exactly he did exactly what you're supposed to do in that position. He jumped the route, played aggressive, and he got rewarded for it. He finally caught an interception. And even on a, on a tackle for loss in the first half, I, I think it was the first half, um, it was a tackle for loss on a sprint option, and Buki just ran right to the running back and dove for the ankle and caused a four- or five-yard loss. And that's exactly what you want out of a guy like that, a guy that's so twitchy and quick. You want him to act. So at least with Buki Radley-Hiles, 
Um, Alex Grinch's philosophy is at least taking root in him. Uh, we've seen it already in Kenneth Murray in two games. He had another fantastic day, I thought. And really, John, overall, the defense did exactly kind of the same things that they did in the first half against Houston, which was a good consistency thing. Um, but just like the left tackle position on offense, the safeties, is are, that that's going to be the, the problem because Patrick Fields had the bad day against Houston and uh, Delarian Turner Yale. Um, on Saturday, could not tackle anybody, and that's that's a concern. Yeah, uh, there's there's a couple of ways to to think about where Buki is um, as a football player. One is uh, let me break it down. I'm I'm really proud of the the question that I asked in the press conference uh, Saturday night of Alex Grinch, and that was, um, are you tempted? With the nickelback position, when you've got a player like Buki, to tinker with it and experiment and say, I wonder how creative we can get. I wonder if I can send him on this blitz or if he can drop into this coverage. Or are you more along thinking of he has to that position has to play within the rules and the framework and the structure of this defense? If, they, if that position freelances too much, the defense breaks down. His answer was great. He said, I think the answer is yes. He is tempted to experiment and tinker with Buki, but yes, he absolutely has to play within the framework of the defense. And I asked Buki about that, um, you know, Saturday night as well. And he said that uh, Coach uh, Coach Grinch's defense is very simple. And he said he's been he's given me a lot of freedom. So think about that. Just just those two things. The defense is very simple, meaning if A happens, then I do B. If C happens, then I do D, right? Okay, it's very simple. You don't you don't have to overthink anything. But yet, Alex Grinch is giving him so much freedom to make his own decisions and make his own reads. If A happens, well, you can do C if B if you want to, but C's open. And don't forget D because D could produce a big play in the backfield. You know what I mean? And Buki has been smart enough and experienced enough through last year's you know, challenges and, and adversity that he faced. A lot of it was on him. He's, he's gained enough experience that he can decipher what's happening on the field and he can make his own decisions in a, in a freedom, uh, a role that is, that is based on his own freedoms and his own um, experiences and his own uh, ability to, to figure out what's going on. So that's, that's an impressive uh, pro- bit of progress for Buki Radley Hiles. Yeah. In that last year, he had to play. He had to. Do, he had to abide by certain rules, and he's a he's a athletic, like you said, quick twitch, short area guy who can be really disruptive. But yet, he had to play within a certain framework of the defense of Mike Stoops's defense, and was really kind of not allowed to get outside of it because if he got outside of that framework, what would happen? You get sixty yard touchdown. You get pulled, or, or he give up a big play. Yeah. Yeah, and look, I I was down on Buki last year just because the performance was at times so bad that you just couldn't ignore it. And yes, like just like you said, I knew he was playing an like the polar opposite of the style of of defense that he played as a highly touted high school cornerback. Like the 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 soundbite from last year from Ruffin McNeil that uh, oh Buki's not a corner, he's a safety. Like look, it, it pissed me off too when I heard that, but that's just the that's what he had to do. So. Anything positive out of Buki is going to be a good thing just from a fan standpoint to see because he is a highly touted guy and he does possess a lot of talent. And if guys like that hit 
um, on, on this defense moving forward, it's going to pay dividends to try and get other equally talented guys to come here because then they can see that they can have success here. But I, my, my thing for Buki, like my ceiling for him and this based on what we saw last year, I mean, John, I don't, you might be a little shocked to hear what my best case scenario for him was, or just my desire as a fan, like, please just do this. I've always just wanted him to be Ante Jones. Like, oh, like after the, his, after his freshman year, I was like, okay, I guess he's not going to be Ed Reed. I guess he's not going to be that type of player because he can't Roy catch. Williams, yeah. He can't catch a pass. He's not big enough to be Roy Williams. He's really aggressive and fearless, but he's just too darn small. Um, it, you know, just for his own, not for his own good. Um, but what you could say about Ante Jones, you can say a, a few things kind of similarly um, with Buki Radley Hiles. Now Ante had, I think, was a little bit bigger. Uh, but Ante, he didn't wow you with his coverage skills. He didn't wow you with his athleticism. But the guy was just so aggressive. Mm-hmm. He was such a dog. And reliable. Th- yeah, he was in the right re- place. Yeah, and he he did a lot of things. Um, you know, watching a lot of those games from 2000, he did a lot of things that I think Alex Grinch is talking about. Look, if I to ask you to go somewhere and the play is going the opposite way, go do something about it. Don't listen mm-hmm. to me. Ante Jones made plays like that, and I I can see that ability in Buki Radley-Hiles. And if he does that, then I don't care if he gives up maybe one big play here and there because he can't tackle somebody or if he gives up a 10-yard first down power rush on his side because the left tackle just swallows him out of the play. So that's always been my ceiling for him. And I don't know if that's fair or unfair, basically. Well, here's here's something else I want you to remember. Um, And I think fans can, can appreciate this. Uh, Say what you want to about Mike Stoops as a coach. Um, but I'm pretty sure Mike, when he would be in practice or when he would be on the sideline or when he would be in the coach's box during games, he wanted those guys and told them frequently, hustle, move your ass over there, get to the football, everybody gang tackle, get over there and do it. If you're, if you're hustling, good things will happen. The problem was they stopped doing what Mike asked them to do in a lot of respects, not always, but you know, the, Guys, there was a disconnect. I think we we all agree that there was a severe disconnect between what Mike Stoops wanted and what the players were willing to give. Okay, well, whatever, however that disconnect is created, Alex Grinch, you know, Mister Genius, Mister Wiz, right? He's a he's just a football coach, just like Mike Stoops was just a football coach. He's just coaching technique. He's co- coaching guys to do to to play football. But Alex Grinch is somehow able to connect with these guys to where hustle and get your ass to the football and gang tackle and get over there means exactly what he says it means. And when Buki is, is on the opposite side of the field and he decides coach Grinch wants me to sprint over there, even though somebody else is going to make the tackle, I'm going to go ahead and sprint over there and see what happens. And boom, the ball pops out and he, the first guy misses it and Buki scoops it up. It's like, Oh, that's what Mike Stoops was talking about when he was telling us to hustle. And, you know, because that could have been a South Dakota recovery if Buki doesn't hustle from all the way on the other side of the field. So good coaching, sure. Yeah, call it what you want. It's it's more of a, a Alex Grinch has been able, and maybe it's just they needed a new voice or a new new direction, a new face. Alex Grinch has been able to reach these guys and get them to deliver more than what Mike Stoops was able to get them to deliver. 
Exactly. And yes, like we said in the first half of this episode, we know, John and I are fully aware that OU has only played Houston and South Dakota. But again, this team, this defense looked terrible against Kansas last year. They looked terrible against quarterbacks that shouldn't have even been on the same field as the talent that OU possessed on defense. And they would throw for three or 400 yards and, and look like Joe Montana. So, I mean, or these run are... run for 400 yards oh, and look like Walter Payton. Oh, yeah, my absolutely God. right. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are all positive improvements. These, this is a positive consistency that we've seen at least for seven quarters of this OU defense because that fourth quarter against Houston was a little eh. Um, yeah. uh, really quick on Kenneth Murray, John. I, I really do like kind of the mantra that he's taken on the be the fifth, the be the fifth uh, mantra. Um, and I, he's talking about the, uh, becoming the fifth Buckus Award winner at the University of Oklahoma. I guess the Boz had two, and then Teddy Lehman and Rocky Kamas were the other two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Curtis Lofton got screwed, and it was only because he wasn't a preseason. Like th- that's why these awards are so silly. You you have yeah, to. Who won it that year? Like a guy from Purdue or some Big Ten linebacker won it that year that Curtis should have won it. Yeah, Curtis had like 180 tackles or whatever, and then he just destroyed Missouri, the number one ranked team in the Big Twelve title game. It was a complete nutter farce that he wasn't even invited to Florida um, for that award ceremony anyway. But anyway. Um, um, I was just going to say, I, I like the mantra that Kenneth Murray has taken on and I like that he has a positive goal despite his rather up and down roller coaster of a career playing a position that, you know, Lincoln Riley said this to you guys at the press conference last week when he was talking about Kenneth Murray, you know, he's, he's in the third year of playing a position that he didn't play at all in high school. And it's not something you learn overnight. And OU fans would have wished that it would have just taken one year for him to learn. But um, if it took if it took two years for him to continue this level of consistency, for him to be that vocal leader, for him to be that inspired leader, um, both on a team team uh, team plane and a um, an individual plane, um, then great. I like what I see out of Kenneth Murray, John, and I, I want to drink the Kool Aid. I haven't exactly drank all of it, but um, I've been burned before. But I, I'm just curious, where do you lie on the uh, on the Kenneth Murray 2019 campaign so far? Well, first of all, it was James Laurinaitis from Ohio State that won the Butkus that year. Uh, good player, no doubt about it. Very deserving, but uh, I don't think he had the, the productivity that what you're talking about. And remember, that season, uh, <laughs> Brent Venables nicknamed um, uh, Curtis Lofton the meat cleaver because he stripped <laughs> the football from, from so many either quarterbacks, running backs, or receivers – he he would swing chop down at it like he was swinging a meat cleaver. Yeah, he saved he saved the Texas game. The he saved the Texas saved, game that that year. Jamal he Charles saved the, was uh, he, he saved the Ohio State uh, the, the Iowa State game, the Texas game, uh, and one other right in, right in, and then he chased down like you said um, uh, Chase Daniel in the Big Twelve Championship game and sacked him. And it's like, wait a minute. This guy might be the best defensive player in America. He, he was really good that year. Yeah, I need to ask Curtis, actually, since he's on. He works with us at the franchise now. I believe he's on from two to three with uh, the franchise players, Kelly Gregg and Jerry Ramsey. So check him out, everybody. I'm sure everybody knows that by now. But I need to ask Curtis, and I've been meaning to, um, if it was ever awkward for him to be in the same locker room, or not necessarily from his, from his perspective, but from Chase Daniels' perspective, because uh, <laughs> Chase Daniel must have nightmares about Curtis Lofton. <laughs> <laughs> Get up, start trash talking and Curtis Lofton just starts laughing in his like, face. <laughs> like whatever, whatever, bro, whatever. Um, so, but no, you're right. Uh, Kenneth Murray, um, he, this is his defense. I think through two games, he's really established that this is his team. This is his defense. He's the, he's the captain of the defense for a reason. 
Uh, he only had four tackles the other night, but in my opinion, that's a good thing. You don't need him out there. Um, you know, you, th- that's a game that the defensive linemen should be dominating. That's a game that uh, Kurt, or, um, Kenneth Murray should be getting off the field early, and that's exactly what happened. So he wasn't very busy the other night against South Dakota, but uh, appropriately, um, he's he's having a, a really good junior season. I want to see when the quote-unquote bullets start flying. I want to see when he gets out there and starts trying to chase guys in space in Chip Kelly's offense this Saturday. Uh, the following week or a couple of weeks down the road against Texas Tech and the Matt Wells offense because they're at, they, the Texas Tech has had a really good start to the season. I want to see how Kurt, uh, Kenneth Murray um, reacts to being in a Big 12 setting, you know, where he's had so many negative experiences in the past. Yep. Uh, I, I'm just I'm just eager to see if what we think we're seeing carries over into the rest of the season. And that's, that's going to be the big question for him and this defense moving forward because it, it's one of those things, John, that if, if if the defense is going to do well, it's, it's going to be because Kenneth Murray has figured it out on all levels, uh, leadership and, and performance. And if he if the defense doesn't perform well as we get into conference play, then it's going to be because Kenneth Murray is probably struggling. But um, really quick, I just wanted to spend a few minutes on the – I, what I think is the biggest weakness of the defense so far, and that's the safety position. Like I said, uh, Delarian Turner Yale just had a bad day at the office in terms of him not being able to perform a tackle um, against anybody that he would. I mean, he 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 delivered a big hit, um, I think, in the second quarter, and the guy just bounced off, and it just it kind of looked like last year. But um, I, I don't know. Like Grinch kind of said, I think he said uh, in the off season that the safety position, especially like the depth. That's probably OU's biggest weakness. That they just don't have the depth. They don't have. They he doesn't. At least back then, he didn't know what type of guys, how or how many guys he could depend upon uh, to throw out there. Um, and so far, you know, they, they've probably had the most under underwhelming performance of any um, unit on defense in these first two games. But um, like we said, UCLA has talent, so the safeties will be tested in both facets of the game, uh, running the ball or defending the run and defending the pass. But it's something that I'm kind of worried about, but uh, Patrick Fields, at least in the orange bowl looked pretty consistent. He looks like a player that can be consistent. DTY has shown flashes, but it's just going to be one of those things, John, that it's just like the left side of the offensive line. I think more game reps will do the safeties really um, do a lot of good because the cornerbacks, man, they're fighting for the football. They are fighting for the football and doing all the things that um, OU yeah. fans have wanted them to do over the last few years. And just two games, they've done done that. Now, that could be competition, but um, at least from the cornerback's position, that looks fine so far. But the safeties, that's just that's the other side of the coin, and I'm just not really satisfied with it so far. Yeah, you're, you're right, and there's good reason to, to, to be dissatisfied so far. Um, Patrick Fields... Uh, you know, who had the two 15-yarders and, and dropped an interception in the opener against Houston, he came into the press conference uh, yesterday and uh, really, I thought, comported himself very well uh, in terms of answering all the questions, uh, embracing, you know, talking about Buki. By the way, a quick aside on Buki. You talk about somebody embracing their failure from the, from the past and learning from it and growing from it. He's been remarkable at that. Oh yeah, we he talked really, we talked about that on like the third episode where I was like, he, he has exactly the mentality that this defense yes. needs. He has the he has got a great head on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Very impressed by how he's been, how he's reacted and grown from his uh, you know adversity last year. But 
to to go back to uh, the the this year's safeties, um, the um, you know Dorian uh, Turner Yell and Patrick Fields. Patrick again come off a really hard, a really kind of a challenging. You know, left a lot out there on the on the field, I should say, against Houston. And I thought he came in and I thought he played pretty well for the most part um, against South Dakota. Again, measured against the opponent, right? Uh, but you you want to set a standard for how not not who you're supposed to play, but how you're supposed to play. And I thought in doing that, I thought Patrick Fields represented himself pretty well on the field, and then coming into the press conference on Monday. And because that's not that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And he did, he did it very well. We even talked a little bit of Union and Union High School starting 0 2 and Jenks Jenks getting beat by 50 and how how rare this is and how difficult it is or or maybe uh, unusual it is for someone who came up through the Union system and has only known Union and Jenks championships his entire life. So uh, it, it was interesting. We had a good conversation with him. And in terms of Delaney Turner Yell, you're right. He made one tackle in that game. And probably had a chance to make five or six, uh, and and so so again, it's not who you play; it's how you play. And if DTY can get going against DTR, who is Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, uh, that would be a good thing for him to be able to to um, you know have a pick uh, on a on a sloppy throw across the middle, or maybe a ball gets batted, or maybe he breaks out of the pocket, and here comes the OU safety to, to come and cut him down. Uh, DTR, by the way, the same guy that, that played last year for the Bruins. Yeah. He, he's struggling. 52% completions. He's already thrown two picks. Um, he's got a ton of ability, but the, the early returns on this kid are that he is not the number one or number two dual threat quarterback in the country. <laughs> like he was being recruited. He's got some serious deficiencies to his game. OU needs to expose that this, this week. OU needs to come up with, three or four or five turnovers against the Bruins because they're chasing the quarterback because they're shutting down running lanes because they're forcing him to throw and he's throwing sloppy passes against the secondary that is very hungry to, to take the football away. Yeah, and just like it takes, uh, all it takes is one bad game to maybe help a team snowball, all it takes is one good performance out of the, sa- uh, the safeties and then maybe that can spurn them on into a positive wave of momentum going into a conference play. And just like you said, um, it, uh, UCLA, you know, they're struggling. Uh, quarterback position is, it's not where they want it to be, of course, but it's a name program on the road in a very beautiful college football environment. And if DTY or Patrick Fields show out, then maybe that's just kind of, the, maybe they just needed to see it happen, you know, physically for them. And then the consistency starts to show up. Because I, I, really quick with Patrick Fields, I, I know everybody was down on him for that Houston performance. And yes, he kind of, he helped. Um, he helped Houston uh, score on some drives by having some silly penalties. I will say this though: I didn't really mind it at the time because I appreciated that somebody was trying to play with a set of balls and trying to set something, uh, set a tone. Because that that one pass interference he got flagged for, where the receiver basically ran into him and bowed up on him, I thought was kind of a silly call. Like if you're going to call that on anybody, call it on the receiver because he caused it. And really, it should have just been nothing. It was an overthrown ball, and they both ran into each other. It's football; it happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree. He, he extended his arm a little bit to try to protect himself. And yeah, what it looked like was a cheap shot, and I just I agree it was it it was not truly a cheap shot. So, mm-hmm. 
But with Patrick Fields, like he, he he strikes me as a guy that you can at least depend on to be consistent because that's what we saw out of him in his spot duty last year, and then especially in the uh, Orange Bowl, he didn't he doesn't do anything flashy. He might he might not be a guy that's going to get you a lot of interceptions, but he's going to be a guy that if you if he gets to your zone, he's going to make the tackle, and that's all I, that's all I want to see out of him. And um, he, he seems like he has that type of mentality that when he plays, and what you just told me with the uh, press conference experience, I mean that's that's right in line with that. So that that's encouraging, and I, I'm not completely down on DTY because I liked what I saw out of him last year in spot duty. Um, I, I'm, I, I, I'm excited for the potential. I just kind of need to see it at this point. It's going to be the third game of the year. It's a prime, prime opportunity for that to happen. But, uh, John, we've been talking for an hour. I need to get a drink of water. I need to take a shower because I just got back from the gym before we started podcasting. Um, uh, any other thoughts really quick that we, yeah, uh, we glossed quick, over in terms of the safety you've got, you've got Robert Barnes who may or may not still be a little shell shocked and getting run over by Josh oh, Jacobs in the orange. PTSD is um, a, yeah. <laughs> the, the true freshman, Woody Washington, he's the other strong safety. And then you've got who I, a guy who I thought was the most consistent defensive back in the spring scrimmage. And that is Justin Broyles, uh, at the free safety position behind Pat Fields. The, I, I, yeah, they, what's the right way to say this based on what you said earlier, they need help at that position. And, and Alex Grinch, uh, might, he came out like a week into two days of training camp and said, we need more depth at this position. Those guys have played Robert Barnes has played Justin Broyles has played. Those guys are ready to get on the field. So if there are some shortcomings at the safety position against uh, UCLA or Texas tech for that matter, in a couple of weeks, um, I think those other guys are ready to at least step in there and, and show him what they can do. I hope so. We will see. I mean, the depth is going to be the problem because if it's not where Grinch wants it to be, then one of those two guys can have a terrible game and Grinch won't have any choice but to keep them, keep them on the field, uh, which can help them, help them snowball their own career. But uh, I'll just hope that they have a good performance. But uh, John, uh, thank you so much for jumping on your own podcast. Of course, I always, I always act like this is mine, but this is your podcast. Um, But I got to do the recording stuff. You get to just talk and enjoy yourself um but no thank you for again as always for uh for for putting these things together because you do a great job with it we appreciate it you are far too kind john it's it's fun doing podcasts with you and like i said everybody i'll put this out um, later tonight this is tuesday of course i'm gonna go talk to rufus tomorrow um really oh yeah i forgot to ask you john are you going to ucla or are you staying in town no i'm staying in town and i'm not even going to norman this week to watch the ucla game i've got a home game oklahoma state is coming to my hometown to play Tulsa. Oh, there so, you go. Yeah, talk to Philip Montgomery today. Been watching some Mike Gundy stuff. Uh, looking forward to getting some content up on the website, thefranchiseok.com. Check that out because yesterday I wrote two stories from the press conference. One was a, a short little, I mean, I'm going to call it an exclusive with the air quotes, uh, exclusive walk off, ride the elevator down with Lincoln Riley because I couldn't get my question in in time. Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah, that's how it's done. I mean, if you've got a question, ask your question. Don't, <laughs> don't just don't just walk away because you got denied. Um, so it's about Baker Mayfield and his terrible, awful, uh, no good day that he had in the NFL. His his NFL debut was uh, soiled by three interceptions and a, and a thirty point loss. And then uh, I wrote about Buki. Wrote about uh, you know everybody, not just coaches but teammates, talking about how much they are so thankful that he had a great game and that he's doing well and that he's bouncing back from last year. And uh, they've, they've all been impressed. So I want you guys to check that out. The franchise. Okay. Dot com. Yeah. I read it because I was, 
pretty upset about Cleveland's performance, and I, I just needed something to latch on to. So your article was really it was needed and necessary. So thank you, John. Um, but yeah, um, we'll get the Rufus Pod out uh, tomorrow. Um, we'll have other stuff going as well, and I, like John's going to be busy on Saturday. Um, speaking of OSU, I bet Mike Gunny and Spencer Sanders are th- just. Uh, they are so excited to play that Texas secondary in a few weeks. Um, that's going to be exciting to look forward to. <laughs> well, everybody, thank you guys so, so much for listening to the Inside OU podcast. Just like I said on the uh, last show, um, please uh, rate and review. Five star could be a generic cool podcast review. It helps us out immensely. And thank you to everybody that's done so already. I uh, can't say how much we appreciate it. But uh, for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham, and y'all have a good rest of the day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Listen to John Hoover weekdays from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.